This is the Kingdom at Hand podcast, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. All of our sermons are archived on our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com. We also have started a YouTube channel, and that is Hosanna Free Lutheran. And you can check out the videos there. You can also come visit us in person. We have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings during the school year. We also have worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings during the summertime. May God bless you through this. Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 15. And I read in Jesus' name. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Father, as we come to study and to apply these things into our lives, Lord, we ask that you would bless this time. Lord, and that your word might go forth clearly, Lord, to change us, to make us more like Christ. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as as Paul starts out here, his his emphasis, therefore, you know, because of the, what we talked about last week, when we talked about spiritual warfare, because our battle is not against flesh and blood, because this is a spiritual battle. We live in a spiritual realm because the demons are real. They're real. You know, even if modern materialism doesn't like to think that nothing exists beyond what we can see, which is ridiculous at the face of it, but I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to be totally sidetracked. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And so when when Paul says that, take up the whole armor of God, and then he says, and having done all. So what is, what does that mean? Why does Paul say that? This isn't even my first point. This is just the introduction. Why does Paul say that? Because this is the greatest that we can do as Christians. If we want to grow in our Christianity, here is where we grow. If we want to mature, here is how we mature. If we want to be deeper and to be more steadfast, here is how we do that. It's through the armor of God. And the armor of God, the wholeness of the armor of God, speaks to the wholeness of our Christian life. How do we become well-rounded? It's by these parts that Paul is giving to us here. And it's just fascinating to think about that. So, So that we might stand. Because the evil day is coming. And the evil day comes to us, right? You guys have seen it. We have the evil day, that day par excellence. That day that exists at the end of time when, you know, before Christ comes back and things go really bad. But in our own lives, we have evil days. We have times of trial and hardship and strain and stress and and pain and questioning and you name it. And it comes to us and we have evil days. How do we stand in the midst of those evil days? How do I stand when evil comes upon me? Because it does. 
does. It will. You will have those days. How do you stand firm in those times? Paul starts out with the belt of truth. So as we go through this, um, we're going to start out looking at the image. So interpreting what the image means. Because, you know, it's, it's metaphor. This is symbolism. So what does the image mean? We're going to start out by looking at that. And then I'm going to attempt to give two applications for that, uh, for each of these. And that's why we're only doing three of them. Because uh, there's, well, there's a lot of applications for these things. Um, so a belt. What does a belt do? Not, you know, not thinking like the belt of your pants. Because the belt of your pants holds your pants up. It's supposed to. This belt, that's why some people, my grandpa always wore suspenders because no belt could hold that in. Um, yeah, he was from Wisconsin. He liked his carbohydrate beverages. Um, but that's a modern American belt. We're talking about an armor belt. What did an armor belt do? It held everything together. You know, it went, it went on the outside of a lot of this stuff. There was uh, the breastplate and then the, what went on the legs and where'd you put the sword and, you know, where do you hang all this stuff? Well, it all went on the belt. And the belt then was an important piece of uh, equipment because it held everything together and held everything where you needed it to be. And so when Paul says the belt of truth, he's saying it's truth that holds your life together. It holds together all of this armor because if you lie about this armor, it's going to start falling apart. If you build your base upon lies, it's going to fall apart. Lies always fall apart. They don't withstand the test of time. Whereas truth does. Truth holds everything together. So as we, as we think about that, how does truth affect us as human beings. Why is this so important? Why does Paul start out with this? He leads with truth. He says truth is the thing that holds it all together. Truth is the foundation upon which you build anything that's able to stand. Why do we go with truth? Well, truth starts inside. And so, am I willing to acknowledge the truth to me? Now, you really start getting into some fairly deep psychology and philosophy when you start doing this. Do I tell myself the truth? Or am I willing to live in a lie to myself? How many of you have ever, and I'm not saying that you're living in sin, but how many of you have ever been tempted by something and then did it because that little voice in your head said, it's not really that bad. I have. What is that? That's a lie. It's not really that bad. Nobody's going to find out. It's okay. The temptation is the desire. I want to do this thing. Then the lie comes and says, here's why you can. Here's the thing you don't have to worry about. You don't have to confront it. It doesn't matter. You can give in. And so then that lie exists within us. And as that lie exists within us, we then live out the temptation. We do what we know we're not supposed to do. Because we believe the lie. And now my inner being 
is founded upon a lie. My actions, my, my way of thinking, my way of interacting with someone else then becomes founded upon a lie. But even that lie is there, how many of you have ever experienced conviction? So now, now you're at odds with each other, with yourself, each other, each other existing inside of me. Because now I've got the lie here that I want and I've got the conviction here that I want. And Paul talks about the spirit living inside of us, the spirit in the flesh. That's what this is. This is, you know, Galatians 5 lived out. And now within myself, I have become separated. I am falling apart inside because I'm living in that tension. I am living in a lie. And we do that inside of us. It starts inside of us. If I don't tell myself the truth and say, you know what? That's wrong even if nobody finds out. That's wrong even if I have the opportunity to do it. That's wrong even if it's not that big of a deal. To tell myself the truth requires an enormous amount of courage because then I have to face up to my own sinfulness. And so when Paul says, it's the belt of truth that holds your life together. He's saying it holds your life together inside because you have to courageously confront that part of you that's living in a lie. And that's hard. That takes courage. Because I have to be willing to tell myself, you know, I'm not as good as I would like to be. I'm not as good as I think I am. I have sinned. I do sin. And that's hard. Because I can no longer give excuses to myself then. Because excuses are lies. Well, it's not that bad because... No. If I'm living outside of God's will, if I'm living outside of truth, it is that bad. No matter the why. I can't give myself an excuse. I can't say, that doesn't really matter. If I'm going to live in truth, inside of myself, now you guys don't even see any of this. This is just inside of me. I don't see what's going on inside of you. You don't see what's going on inside of me. This is a battle that's waged at the very bottom of our soul that nobody else can observe and witness. They might see the fruits of it, but it's internal. Because that's where all of this starts. It all starts inside of me. If I'm living in excuses, I am living in lies, I'm not living in the truth. And my life will start to fall apart. Because I won't be able to stand when evil comes. If I'm living on excuses, when difficulty comes, I'm going to fall apart. If I'm holding my life together with excuses and with lies, when the evil day comes, it'd be like the house built on sand. Because that evil day will come. I look out here. I, I don't know any of you who haven't seen it. Who haven't seen the evil day come into your lives. A time of trial and difficulty that's beyond what you as an individual could bear. You've all been there. If you're living in the truth, you will stand. If you're living in lies, you will fall down. You will be broken. 
But why does, why, does, why does God break us? So that we might know that our lives aren't reliable. So that we might be made anew. God's got a goal in all of this. But this, that's God's goal. Why wouldn't we live in the truth? So that we don't have to live in these lies. And so we confront those lies. We confront those excuses. We confront those thoughts within ourselves with the truth for the goal of putting on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand. So I tell myself the truth, even if it's harsh. I live in the truth, even if I don't want to. Not because I don't want the lie, because I'll tell you what, I do want the lie. I like the lie. There is a part of me that wishes the lie were true. Because then I could do whatever I wanted, no matter what. Because there's no consequences, you know? That's a lie. The truth is, there's always consequences. There's always consequences for every sin that we engage in. We can't live in that lie. And that's just one aspect of truth. That's the sin, not sin aspect of truth. You know, and that, that's foundational. It's just one aspect. That affects all, everything else. Because as I live in truth, that's going to affect my relationship with the people around me. If I live in a lie, that's going to affect my relationship with the people around me. Because we know people who live in lies, right? They're not consistent. They're not trustworthy. They're not reliable. How many of you have ever put trust in someone who is a liar? How did that work out for you? Pretty poorly. That was bad. I've experienced that. It has never worked out well. I don't know a liar that's not been caught. Well, that's kind of (laughs) self-evident. If they're a liar and they haven't been caught, then I don't know they're a liar yet. So, you know, that works. I don't know a liar that's not been caught. I don't know a liar that his life, his or her life is able to hold together. Their relationships hold together. Because if I'm lying, so I'll, I'll pick on Tim. If I'm lying to Tim, and Tim and I start becoming closer and closer friends, but I've been lying to Tim. What part of my life will I never allow Tim into? The part that I've been lying about. And so then we start cutting off people from aspects of our lives because we don't want them to find out the lie. You know, if I'm telling Tim about how much I can bench and how much I can squat and how much I can deadlift, and he's like, hey, Joe, why don't you go and show me in the gym? And I'm like, I'm busy. I got this pain. I'm getting old, you know. Why would I not allow him into that aspect of my life? Because I don't want him to find out the lie. And so now I'm losing intimacy. Because now there's parts of my life that I can't have people in. Because I've been living in a lie. Why would I be telling him that lie? Well, because I've been telling myself that lie. I'm actually stronger than I think, you know. And so then I lie. And then I cut other people off. And so if I live in the truth, if I'm living in the truth in all aspects of my life, there's no aspect of my life that I'm afraid of people getting into. You know, you can ask me anything. I can share anything. Why? Because I've got nothing to hide. Does that mean that you should ask me everything? I don't know. That might be kind of awkward at times. But that means that there's no aspect of my life that... I need to hide because there's no aspect of my life that I've been lying about. So you guys are welcome into my life. 
And then that creates relationship because according to a guy named David Horsager, his last name is Horsager, I think his first name is David. Um, he writes a blog and he does talks in places. Um, somehow he gets paid for it. I don't know how people figure that out. But I get paid for this, so I don't know how I figured that out. Um, but he says that all relationships are built on trust. Trust is the foundation of all relationships. It's called the trust edge, I think is what his program is called. I've listened to a couple of his things. They're interesting. It's good stuff. But if I let you into my life, that tells you that I'm trustworthy. And that means that we have a foundation now upon which we can build a relationship. And if I've got relationships, what do relationships do in our lives? When the day of evil comes, they help us stand. Because now if hardship came upon me, I know that I've got brothers and sisters who are willing to stand with me against that hardship. Because you guys know that I'm doing this in my integrity. And so the belt of truth holds us all together. And so if I'm living in a lie internally, I'm going to be living in a lie externally and everything's going to fall apart. I will end up isolated and alone with no armor to defend me and protect me. So when God says put on the whole armor of God, you start with truth. Am I willing to acknowledge my sin to myself, to God, to others? Am I willing to do that? That's the foundation of that. That's how we build relationships. That's how we build relationship with ourselves. That's how we build our relationship with God. That's how we build our relationship with everybody else. By living in truth. Any questions? I feel like I could end there, but you know, it's only been 15 minutes. Click it right here. <laughs> breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate cover? Yep, vital organs. Covers your chest. It covers your heart. And that's, that's really important because if that's gone, full frontal attack, you're done. You're done. And that's really where righteousness comes from and that's what righteousness affects. It affects our inside. It affects our heart. And so what is righteousness? So we got the breastplate of righteousness. Have you guys ever wondered what righteousness is? You think about the word. It's the state of being right. I like being right. You wouldn't know that by how many times I make mistakes. But I like being right. And, okay, so at least a couple people got that joke. Um, (laughs) But then, if I'm going to be righteous, that means I'm acknowledging that there is a right and there is a wrong. I'm acknowledging that there is a guide that God has set a standard. Well, not necessarily even God, but as Christians, if I'm going to be living righteously, willing to say that I'm living righteously, I'm saying God has set a standard and I'm going to strive to live to that standard because that's what it means to be right. God is right. And so how does that apply? How do we live that out? You know, if we look at lives, look at the way that people live their lives, all sorts of people are playing all sorts of games. You look at all life as a game. They've got all sorts of strategies to play this game of life. And so some people are aiming for money. Everybody's looking for satisfaction to some degree. Maybe they're thinking that they'll be satisfied by getting more money. Maybe they think they'll be satisfied by getting more um, adventure. Maybe they think they'll be satisfied by uh, 
uh, I was actually watching a friend of mine who does a YouTube thing about like uh, snowboarding, and he's always all about adventure, the next adventure. The bigger the, the fall, the better. And uh, Like, boy, Phil's got, <laughs> he's crazy, man. Um, fun watching his videos, though. <laughs> Glad I don't have to do that. I was looking for the next adventure or the next prestige, looking for power, looking for authority, looking for the ability to tell other people what to do because they think that'll make them happy. They're looking for that and they think that that this is how we're going to live life. The difficulty about life is that we only get one shot. We've only got one life. And so if I'm going to be living my life, how do I know I'm going to live be living my life right. Have you ever wondered that? Am I living my life right? Properly? Because righteousness acts as a guide to how we live our lives. It protects us from those frontal assaults that always come. If I am living my life properly, then I don't need to fear what comes directly at me. I don't need to fear tomorrow. I don't need to fear the future. I don't need to fear circumstances. Because righteousness, and this is an important lesson. This is an important lesson. It's really hard for me to figure out how to communicate it. Righteousness is that which works properly, irregardless of the situation. If something is truly righteous, it always brings about good, regardless of the situation in which it's applied. And that's what Scripture gives us. Scripture gives us a mode of life that always works, irregardless of the situation in which it's applied. Christianity works in America. Christianity works in Iran. Christianity works in France. Christianity works in the Amazon. Christianity worked 2,000 years ago. Christianity work, will work 2,000 years from now. doesn't matter the technological advances. Christianity will still work. doesn't matter the social, cultural situation. Christianity works. Christianity works for the rich. Christianity works for the poor. Christianity brings righteousness. If I'm living in righteousness, I can have joy. I can have contentment. I can have peace no matter how young or old I am. It always works. Think about that. Christianity always works. I was just watching a video this week um, called Sheep Among Wolves or Lambs Among Sheep Among Wolves. Nathaniel sent it to me. It's about the Iranian church. It's on YouTube. Look it up. It's about two, two hours. Really stupendous video. And there you see Christianity at work. And the interesting thing about Christianity, the interesting thing about righteousness is the more you apply it, the more you see that it works. The more you give yourself to it, the better it is. And so the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is a guide to how I'm going to live my life. So that no matter what tomorrow brings, I will be able to stand. If I don't have righteousness, Tomorrow is going to hollow me out. I will be empty. And if you guys want to experience this, go to the nursing home. Find four people who are depressed. There's a lot of them. A lot of people in the nursing home that are depressed. 
Spend some time talking to them. And with a goal. What did they live their lives for? It's an interesting goal. This is something that I've done. I didn't do it intentionally, but I found that I was doing it unintentionally, and then I started putting pieces together. And the most depressed people that I found are people who live their lives for a goal that either was taken away from them by being in the nursing home or that they could no longer pursue while being in the nursing home. So if I live my life for my spouse, if I live my life for my wife to make her happy, and she dies, what's the purpose of my life anymore? It's gone. If I live my life in order to make money, not even to have money, but just to make money, and I'm stuck in a nursing home, and I can't make money anymore, what's the purpose of my life? If I'm living my life for glory and fame and honor, and then I get stuck in a nursing home and nobody knows who I am. Circumstances have now taken away everything that I've worked for. It has hollowed me out. It has taken away the center of who I am. Righteousness protects the center of who we are. If I am living my life in righteousness, that will mean that I can't live my life for my spouse because that would be idolatry. I almost point over there because usually that's where she sits. That would be idolatry. So I have to be led. Righteousness will lead me away from that. If I am living my life for greed, living my life in righteousness will lead me, lead me away from that. So when the day of evil comes, I'm not going to be hollowed out. I will still have a purpose because righteousness will guide me to the kingdom of God will act as barriers in my life guiding me towards the kingdom of God. Luther talks about the law being a curb. Why do we have curbs on roads? So that we have a bigger jump when we hit them. No, so that we don't hit them. They guide us. And so righteousness guides us and leads us into proper living so that when the day of evil comes, we won't be hollowed out. Because if I'm living my life in sin, I am going to be led astray from God. Period. If I'm living my life for money, and I know people that do, I'm going to be led astray from God. It always happens. But if I'm living my life for God, if I'm living my life in righteousness, and the day of evil comes, I'll be protected. Because righteousness works no matter the situation. I'm going to pick on Wall. Um, she's passed away, and Mark and Janet aren't here, so I can do this. Um, so she got dementia as she got older. And she was, I guess she was sweet all of her life. I didn't know her very long. Um, Some of you here did. But she had a hard time transitioning to new places. And she would go back and forth from two of her daughter's houses because they'd care for her for a specific amount of time and then send her off to the next daughter so that they could care for her for a specific amount of time. And she always felt very disoriented until she found her Bible. Once she found her Bible, she was home. And no matter where she was, and no matter what she was doing, no matter her circumstance, no matter if she was in the hospital dying, or if she was in someone's home being taken care of and being bathed, she still took that opportunity to share about Jesus. To show the love of Christ. Because that was her goal. 
That was the purpose of her life. And so did the circumstances have the capacity to change that? No. She never existed in a circumstance where she couldn't live out the goal of her life. So when the day of evil came, she could withstand it because she had a goal and a purpose that existed beyond the circumstances. She had a home with her Bible and she had an opportunity to share Jesus. That's all that mattered to her. And I think about that and I think about this passage and I think that's explaining that she is wearing the breastplate of righteousness. So when the day of evil came, it couldn't touch her. Because her purpose was a righteous purpose. She wasn't hollowed out. She was a joy even till the end. Finally, for today, next week we'll get into the next one. The shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. Why do we wear shoes? Protect our feet. Yeah. You know, I know little kids don't have to, but I have to. I can't run around on gravel like Anton and Rachel. It's just amazing to see what they can step on. It doesn't phase them. Probably, yeah, I, I don't understand that. But we wear shoes to protect our feet, to protect us from the difficulties, the circumstances that come. And so it allows us to tread difficult paths. Shoes, let me say that again. Shoes allow us to tread difficult paths. So what does it mean to have feet, to have shoes fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? What is the gospel of peace? It's the gospel of reconciliation. Because that's peace. Now I have the ability to run to God because he has given me peace. You think about that. What's wrong with this world? They don't know the peace that God has to bring. They don't know God. If they came to know God, they would know the peace that God has for them. They would know that there is reconciliation there. They would know that there is payment for their sin. And that's a scary road to that's a scary road to trod. To come to God, who knows all of my sin. And so this is why we proclaim the gospel. So that people might know that there's peace with God. Jesus paid it. The Holy One paid the price for us sinful ones. Jesus paid it. He became a curse on our behalf so that our curse would be lifted. So that we could now come to God. So that we could have fellowship with God. Jesus paved that road so that we could walk on it. And now as we know that gospel... That gives us the right, even when we sin, to come to God. That's why we have confession of sin every week. Why? Because we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. What do I do with my sin? I bring it to God. But it's God against whom, God is the one against whom I've sinned. I still bring it to God. That's how we fix this. Because the price has already been paid. And so now I can have courage. I can have readiness to come to God every time I do something that ruins our relationship. That puts a a wedge or a divide into our relationship. I have the calling to come to God and to receive forgiveness again. How does that fit with our relationships with others? How does the gospel of peace change the way that I interact with the people of this world. Change the way that I interact with sinners. 
I already know forgiveness. Now I know how to do it. I know how to give forgiveness. The Holy One pays the price. So forgiveness isn't forgiveness if there's stipulations on it. I will forgive you if. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is given. And then we wait for the person to come back in. And so, but I then have to pay that price. So if I bring the, so we'll, we'll use evangelism. Because we talk about evangelism sometimes. Um, actually quite often. But if I'm evangelizing, why do people, why are people afraid of evangelizing? There's a number of reasons. I'm going to say something wrong. Well, that's because we're not trusting God then to be speaking through us. Because I found even when I say the wrong thing, sometimes it's the right thing. And that's just wild to see. Like, oh, that came out wrong. Oh, that, that really touched me. Really? Yeah. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than my words. Praise God. Um, but I'm all, also one of the reasons why we fear, we fear to evangelize is because we fear being rejected. Right? I don't want someone to think poorly of me. I don't want them to think that I'm just some nutter butter Christian. You know, I don't want that. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of my reputation being besmirched by, because of Jesus. Well, why would, someone, why would someone reject me if I'm bringing them the gospel? It's because of their sin, right? It's because of their sin. So the question is, am I willing to pay the price for their sin through my reputation? Am I willing to allow my reputation to go down in order to share the gospel with them? That's what Jesus did for us. He was hung on a cross. He died. Am I willing to allow, to do that? Am I willing to take that step forward and pay the price? Someone sins against me. Am I willing to take the initiative and bring forgiveness into the situation? Hoping that this person will come back and receive reconciliation? Am I willing to do that? Because that's what God has done for me. That's what God has done for me. He has given forgiveness, and now he wants us to come and receive it. He has offered it and wants us to come and take it. Am I willing to do that with someone else so that our relationship might be fixed? Because it takes a stronger person, doesn't it? Somebody has to pay that price. Somebody has to be willing to say, I forgive you. And not, well, I forgive you in that I'm better because I'm doing the forgiving. No. That I'm willing to not hold this against you. In order that reconciliation might come. That's the gospel of peace. Peace comes through the gospel. What is the gospel? God has sent Jesus that we might be reconciled. That he might pay the penalty on our behalf. So now, as I live that out, what does that mean? That means that I pay the penalty on behalf of the people that sin against me. Am I willing to do that? So that this relationship might be reconciled? Might be fixed? Might be made anew? That's tough. It's hard. I don't like paying that price. But that's what we're called to do as Christians. Does that mean that relationships are always going to be the same? No, relationships change. 
But am I willing still to forgive? Yeah. That's what Christ has done for us. So if I'm not forgiving of others, if my feet are not shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, all of my relationships are ultimately going to fall apart. Because I'm going to be looking for that person that never sins against me. Do you guys know anybody that never sins against you? I don't know one. Everybody does. Even my wife sometimes does that. Even Kirsten. Like you guys know Kirsten. She will sometimes sin against me. If I am unwilling to forgive, every relationship will fall apart. Everyone will. Because we will isolate ourselves from everybody around us. Well, this person does more nice things than they do bad things. Yeah, but when the day of evil comes, you're just going to see the bad things. Unless you've forgiven. And when we've forgiven, it means it's gone. So when the day of evil comes, you want to be a person that forgives. Who seeks peace with those who are around them. So that there might be reconciliation. So that you might have relationships that build up instead of tear down. Because you know when the day of evil comes, we need people with us. Do you know that? I can't do this on my own. You know, one soldier against an army is going to die. Because sooner or later that armor is going to get worn down. So we need the body. But if you're wearing this armor, how, if you exist within a body of Christ that's wearing the armor of God, how strong is that body going to be? You know, this is our calling as Hosanna. That each and every one of us would personally and individually be wearing the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes against me, you guys will be able to stand with me. When it comes with you, towards you, that we will stand with you. Does that make sense? So we put on the whole armor. Next week we talk about the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. Any questions? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the armor that you give us. Lord, I pray that we would walk in it. Lord, that you might be glorified, that we might stand. Lord, that we might be able to stand with our brothers and sisters. Lord, that we might be a body. Father, that, that, that this world might be changed. Lord, that Christ would come into this world all the more, even through us. Grant us the humility to wear the armor of God. In all of its fullness, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.